Let's get into the, the message for today. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 through 58. So next week, Pastor Keith is speaking, and then the week after that, I will be preaching through 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and likely concluding our series. So we will end the series on the, the book of 1 Corinthians. It's been nine months not a straight preaching through 1 Corinthians. We've had guest speakers, many different things as well, but it's been quite a journey. Um, I hope that you will have been as blessed by it as I have been. And then uh, after 1 Corinthians is over, we will have guest speakers for four weeks in a row. Uh, my family will be on vacation for two of those Sundays, and then we'll be back here for the, the last two of those Sundays when we have guest speakers. So, And then we'll be starting a new new series um, after that. So this is our second to last, our penultimate message in 1 Corinthians um, on the latter half of chapter 15. If you were here last week, um, chapter 15, we saw that Paul was talking about the resurrection. He goes into this um, final major issue or question with the Corinthian church. And just to review a little bit, verses 1 through 34, Paul started off by talking about the proof of Jesus' resurrection and how over 500 people saw him after he was crucified and after he was raised from the dead and how that was um, proof, how that was tremendous proof that Jesus did in fact raise, was raised from the dead and why he is the son of God and the man that we should place our faith in. And um, if, if Jesus was not resurrected, which, uh, you know, some of these Corinthians were, were, were wondering about this, were not really believing in resurrection, if Jesus wasn't resurrected, Paul was saying, this is so central that neither will you be as well. Because our resurrection rests upon the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. If he was not resurrected, that means there's no resurrection and we will not be resurrected either and our faith is in vain. But he said that's not the case. Christ was resurrected and he was the first fruits of those who were resurrected from the dead. And by first fruits, he goes back to uh, the book of um, Leviticus and the feasts of the ancient Israelites and how the first fruits represents the very first of the harvest, and, and when it was given to God, it was an act of faith that God was going to bless the rest of the harvest as well. So because Jesus rose from the dead as the first fruits, anybody who puts their faith in him also can have confidence that we will be raised. The rest of the harvest will be raised as well at the second coming of Jesus. And because of this, we don't need to have that mindset that says, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Let's just live it up now because there is no tomorrow. There's no resurrection. There's no future. This life is all there is. We don't need to live that way. In fact, we can, as Paul did, die every day, living as if this life was very little and fleeting and was an opportunity to serve God, to die to ourselves because we know this resurrection life is coming. So Paul was establishing in the first part of chapter 15 the reality of the resurrection and how important and critical the resurrection is and, and how we can live as a result of that. Now, um, in verses 35 and on, he goes to, he brings up this theoretical, hypothetical question. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? 
with what kind of body do they come? And now, um, if you remember what we had discussed earlier, previously, the Corinthians thought that they were so spiritual, as evidenced by their um, elevation of tongues and how they thought that, you know, I'm such a spiritual person, look at me, I speak in tongues, and how they looked down on the body because they were probably affected by Greek philosophy, the environment that they found themselves in, this very Platonic thought that thought of the body as something that you just kind of have to deal with and it doesn't matter, it's just the material stuff but it doesn't really affect who we are, our soul. And, and so this is why Paul had to address things like sexual morality and eating food in pagan temples and things like that because of this view of the Corinthians. They viewed the body just as something like that had to be eventually slewed off like a snake shedding its old skin. That's the body. It's, it's not something that we really, really need. And so because they had this mentality, this whole idea of resurrection was just really foreign to a lot of them. They just couldn't grasp it. So like, Paul, what do you mean resurrection? Like the reanimation of our dead bodies? The resuscitation of our corpses? How does this work? I mean, when I die, my body goes into the ground or it's, it's buried in, inside of a tomb and then maggots begin to consume it. It falls apart. All that's left in, is bones. Eventually, the bones become so frail that they disintegrate as well. How in the world does God just reanimate or resuscitate our bodies? How does that work? They, they couldn't understand this. And this is part of the reason why they didn't believe in the resurrection, some of them, or they, they, they downplayed the resurrection and the importance of it. So Paul raises this hypothetical question that somebody may ask that they may be struggling with. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And now let's read through the rest of this chapter for his answer. You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from heaven. From, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. 
Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also shall bear the image of the man of heaven. So I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed." In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the, perishi- when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. I need a sip of water. I need a sip of water. Sorry. Excuse me. These passages are getting longer lately. Um, So the Corinthians were wondering, how does this work? They did not have this conception, a well-formed conception of resurrection. So what does Paul do? He uses two sets of analogies. Uh, The first one is about seeds, and the second one is about different kinds of bodies, whether human bodies, animal bodies, fish, birds, sun, moon, stars, different things. Um, I'm going to focus primarily on the seed analogy because I I think the, the different types of bodies that there are is a supporting argument to, to what Paul is, is getting across when he talks about seeds. So he, he uses seeds to explain to the Corinthians the reality of the resurrection. He says, just as we take a seed, and a seed, we know a seed is not dead, right? But, but, but it, it doesn't look like much, right? It looks like something that is basically dead for all intents and purposes. It looks inert. It might be dried up, this tiny speck. But when we put it into the ground, when we bury it, which looks like a form of death, so to speak, right? We bury things in the ground that have died. We bury them in tombs. As we bury a seed in the ground, what happens is a transformation, an incredible transformation. This seed Uh, begins to germinate as long as it's watered and the soil is good. It germinates, it puts out little roots, it sprouts up as a little seedling, and then it grows. And it grows bigger and bigger and bigger into a full-blown plant and then maybe even a tree filled with fruit, be it apples or oranges or something else. Paul talks about the reality of the process of this seed. And he's saying, This seed, metaphorically speaking, needs to die. Only as this seed dies, is buried in the ground, can transformation then take place. He's saying, Corinthians, this is exactly what happens with our bodies, with our human bodies. Our bodies need to die. 
That is a process that every single person goes through. And then our body is buried in the ground or in a tomb. Our, our body may be, uh, may be cremated, but our body will die. Our body will be buried. But then our body will continue on into another form. When Jesus returns, he will raise up our bodies. Um, it, we may wonder, well, how does that happen? And our bodies have been disintegrated, they've been eaten, they've been scattered all over the place, but God in his power, who can do anything, will reconstitute our bodies and then they will be transformed into something glorious, into something magnificent. Just like, you know, I, I, during COVID, I got into gardening. Um, I am still more assassin than gardener, but I'm slowly getting better, slowly learning, and it's really amazing. It's really amazing, and I can see why people love gardening so much, because you take a seed, it's something that looks like nothing, and you put it in the ground, and then you water it, you get some decent soil, some sunlight, and then these little plants sprout out, and then they turn into a full-blown you know, uh, tomato plant, and then you're, you're harvesting those tomatoes, and you're eating them in your salad. It's a really, it's an amazing feeling that out of that seed comes something as glorious as this tomato plant and the fruit that comes with it and, and, and what I'm enjoying in my salad when I eat at home, this amazing transformation that takes place. And Paul's saying to the Corinthians, guys, you get this. You get this, Corinthians, don't you? Look, Corinthians, did you, did you eat today? Did you eat this past week? If you did, you probably ate something that went through this process of dying that was sown in the ground, that was buried, but then something new came out of it. This new life came out of it, this transformation. And that's what resurrection is like. That's what happens to our bodies. But Paul is saying, listen, that process of death it is, it is a difficult thing. It is ugly. It is not glorious. It is, you know, the Corinthians were looking at, they, they knew what happened when people die. They saw them become weak or diseased. Their bodies fall apart. And, and they're like, I can't wait to get rid of that body. Why would I want that body again? They couldn't understand the resurrection. Paul says, yeah, I understand. Yes, the body that is sown, the body that dies, that goes into the ground, is one that is not um, very glorious. It's not very um, uh, imperishable. It's not very powerful. But one day it will be. One day it will be. But now, he says, it is dishonorable. Brothers and sisters, friends, death is dishonorable. He says the body is sown, it is buried in dishonor, but then it is raised in glory. We try to make death look glorious in some ways, maybe through a very stately funeral, a very expensive um, coffin, a really beautiful funeral home, uh, pomp and circumstance, flowers all over the place. But friends, death is dishonorable. What happens to the body because of what sin has done to us, because of the process of death, it is not honorable what happens. I saw this over 20 years ago. My father died of lung cancer. He died slowly over the course of three years as cancer destroyed his body. Finally, when his body was, was giving in in, in its last few days and he had to be admitted to the hospital, cancer had so ravaged his body that he was not 
even able to have a bowel movement. And because he could not have a bowel movement, his stomach began to become distended. It began to become bloated. And he began to suffer from dysentery. And I saw that until the ravages of cancer, until he took his final breath. I saw him die, the body, in a very dishonorable way. Six months ago, I saw my mother pass away. I was by her side as well. Did, did you know, I didn't know this, but when I saw my mother, she got so weak because of uh, the ravages of Parkinson's disease and infection and all those things. She got so weak, the body gets so weak, that in her final hours, she was not even, even though she was unconscious, she was not able to swallow. The body was that weak. And saliva begins to just build up and then eventually, it sounded like she was choking. This is what's called a death rattle. As you're breathing through all of this saliva, and it just sounds like the person is choking and is agonizing for family members until so much saliva builds up that there's this involuntary gag reflex and the body just swallows it only for the process to start over and over again for hours on end until my mother took her last breath. Brothers and sisters, friends, death is not honorable. The process of death, it is dishonorable to the human body. But the body that will be raised will be glorious. Will be glorious. I don't think we can imagine how glorious it will be. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Weight of Glory, he wrote, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, lowercase g's, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. I, I, th I think he's on to something there. That if you had the opportunity somehow to meet somebody in their resurrected body, that that body, that person would be so glorious, you may have a difficult time keeping yourself from falling on your knees and worshiping that person because of the glory of what is to come. Paul says as well that our bodies are sown in weakness. We go to the grave in weakness, not in power, we're raised in power, but we go to the grave in weakness. And this is not what the, the Corinthians, who lived in a, a Greek culture, Hellenistic culture, wanted to hear. I mean, the Greeks, this is the birthplace of the Olympics. They, uh, they idolized physical strength and prowess. That's why they, all their statues, people are naked, and the men all look like Chris Hemsworth. They make everybody look like that. They valued power and physical prowess. But you know the reality is? Weakness comes. And no matter how much you take care of your body, no matter how well you eat, no matter how much you exercise, your body will become weak. It will stop working the way it's supposed to, and then eventually you will die. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't take care of our bodies, and it's not a, an excuse. You can't say, oh, Ulysses said I can go eat all the fried chicken I want. That's, what he, that's my application today. No, we should still try to eat well. We should try to exercise. But at the same time, it means we shouldn't try to idolize our bodies or, try, or, or have this subconscious philosophy of trying to prevent death and to live forever. 
the reality is every one of us will become weak and every one of us will die. Are we idolizing our bodies in this attempt to live forever? Paul says also here in verse 44, he says that this body that goes into the ground, that that dies, it is a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. Now, this doesn't mean that the spiritual body, the resurrection body is like spirit, like immaterial, and we're just floating around like a disembodied being. What spiritual there means is it means supernatural. It's more talking about not, not an immaterial body, but a supernatural body. Our body in this life, in this world, is a physical body. It is a natural body. But the body that is to come, that, that is raised from the grave, is a supernatural body. It's a spiritual body. It's a body that is well-suited, that has been transformed and fitted for the age to come, the resurrection age. That's what Paul is talking about. Now, one thing that not only is this encouraging, but one aspect of this that is important that we, we see running through the letter of 1 Corinthians is this idea of the importance of continuity. Remember, just like a seed, you don't put a seed into the ground and then hocus pocus, the seed disappears, and then abracadabra, a little plant appears, right? The seed's gone, now there's a plant. That plant is that seed. That seed was just transformed. Our bodies right now don't disintegrate, we completely disappear, and then God just makes us new. No, the resurrection body is this body. Now, before you get disappointed, it is a transformed, glorified body, but it's the same body. It's like pimp my ride, right? That car, it looks amazing when they're done with it, but it's still that old car, but really, really transformed and fixed up. So, One important application from this is to know that what we do with our bodies right now matters because you will have it for all eternity. We go back to chapter 6. This this kind of reflects back to chapter 6 again where Paul said, remember, the sexual morality that was taking place, the Corinthians thinking, it doesn't matter what I do with my body because I'm a spiritual being. Paul said, the body is not meant for sexual immorality but for the Lord and the Lord for the body And what does he talk about next? And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. What you do with your body now matters because in the resurrection, it's still your same body, transformed, glorified. So Paul says, don't engage in sexual immorality. Don't do things with your body that would be displeasing to the Lord. Don't think of it just as physical and it doesn't really make a difference to the spiritual. You are you. Your body is your body. It's the same body, but it's transformed. It's glorified. Now, Paul here goes on in verses 45 to 49 to to talk about um, the same concept in terms of two atoms, the first atom and the last atom. What does he mean by this? Now, what he's doing is he's, he's talking about this transformation of our natural body, which will die, and then our spiritual supernatural body, which will be resurrected. And he's, he's connecting these two to the first Adam, the Adam in the Garden of Eden, and then the last Adam, which is Jesus Christ. And, and, and you know the, the name Adam? Adam just means man. It just means man. We think of Adam as like, oh, Adam's like Bob or Bill, 
or Jim or James. No, Adam just means man. It represents mankind. He is the first human being made. He represents mankind. He had a representative role. In Reformed theology, we call that federal headship. It means he represented humanity. But because the first Adam sinned, sin and death entered into humanity. And as a result of this, our representative, the first Adam, because he sinned and sin brought death into this life, into this world, all the progeny of the first Adam, all humanity, all of us will also die. Just as Adam returned to the dust, he lived to be a 900 or something. That was pretty good. But he returned to the dust. And every single one of us will also return to the dust as well. But Paul says, there was this first Adam that represented us all, but there came a last Adam. There came another Adam, and that Adam is Jesus, another representative of mankind. And whereas the first Adam was a living being, he was alive, he had a body, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, became a life-giving spirit. And what that means is that anybody who believes in Jesus Christ as the last Adam, as the last representative of humanity, if you put your faith in him, that he died on the cross for your sins, and that he was raised on the third day for your resurrection and your life, if you believe in that, you also will be resurrected like he was resurrected. In the same way, as being the progeny of the first Adam guarantees death and a return to the dust, if you are a son of God, if you put your faith in Jesus, if you believe in the second and the last Adam, you are guaranteed also to be raised from the dust. You are guaranteed to be resurrected. The first Adam became a living being, but the last Adam is the one who can give life through the power of his resurrected existence. This is why Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, about Jesus, he who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, his resurrected body, by the power that enables him to even to subject all things to himself. Jesus' body was also resurrected. It was also glorified in some amazing way. And those who trust in him and put their faith in him, our bodies will also be resurrected and glorified as well. Friends, he's the last Adam. What are you waiting for? There will not be any other Adam. There will be nobody else who will come and represent humanity and save you. The Bible says he's the last one. There'll be no other Messiah, no other source of salvation, no aliens will come from Mars to fix everything. Jesus is the last Adam. He's the one that can undo the work of the first Adam. By faith in him. He is a life-giving spirit, and he can give us life as well. So what is the upshot of all of this? In verses 50 through 58, Paul, he goes into the mechanics a little bit here. He says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. He talks a little bit about the mechanics. He's saying, you know, when Jesus returns, there will be people here on the earth. It sounds like we will not have, you know, gone extinct. We'll still be here. Most of us will have died, but there will be people on earth when he returns. Those people will not all die. They will be carried up into the sky. They will meet Jesus in the air. But then 
those who have died, we will be raised as well. And it's going to happen in a moment. In a moment, this transformation will be taking place. The trumpet will sound. There will be a like something. Angels blowing the trumpet. Jesus has returned. The dead will be raised. And then we will be made imperishable. We will be changed. That is what will happen. And then Paul says, when this happens, death is swallowed up in victory. We can say, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And and he explains this. He says, the sting of death is sin. What does he mean by that? What Paul is saying is this. Um, Sin, the sin of Adam that has been passed down to all of us, And the sin that we all commit on a daily basis, sin is the deadly poison that leads to death. Sin. Sin is the poison that has poisoned humanity and is the reason we all will die. Now, that's really, really important. And it says something very, very important to us. What does it say to us? It says to us this. It says to us that none of us We're supposed to die. Let's let that sink in for a moment. None of us, none of you, nobody who has ever died in this world was supposed to die. We were all supposed to live forever. Death is extremely unnatural. It is the result of the poison of sin. This is why when people say things like, don't be afraid of dying, people who don't have have the Bible's view of of the world, I mean, when they say, don't be afraid of dying, death is very natural. No! (laughs) Be very afraid of dying if you don't know Jesus. Be very afraid of dying because it's not natural, because you were never supposed to die. Death is foreign. It came into humanity. It poisoned humanity because of sin. And this is why people very naturally do all that they can to avoid death. People try to to, to, to figure out ways to live forever, to, to, to do surgery, to look like death is not happening to their face or to their buttocks and, and to their stomach. We try to look like death is not happening. We, we do research into the reversal of aging to try to beat it one day, to try to figure out how we can live forever. We, there's a big business of cryogenics, of freezing yourself of freezing your brain in the hopes that one day society will advance and the technology will be there and they'll know how to revive you and will know how to help you to be able to live forever. Some people want to upload their consciousness into a computer, into a machine. And this way, even if the body falls apart, then then my mind, I can go on living forever and be like an android cyborg, something like that, and just continue living forever. We do so many things to avoid dying. And what I'm saying is that's very natural. It's very natural to fear death because we weren't supposed to die. It's something very unnatural. Tim Keller, who passed away the other week and was a a pastor that I really, really looked up to, uh, he gave an interview to Relevant Magazine back in March of 2021. This is after he had received his, his diagnosis of pancreatic cancer and and things did not look very good. Um, 
He said this to the magazine. He said, when some people say, well, when you die, it's just over. There's nothing to be afraid of. My response is, what you're saying is that death means the end of love. And you're telling me not to dread that? Give me a break. But because he doesn't believe death is the end of love, he doesn't feel that sense of dread. If I know there's love on the other side of death, I can face it, he says. If I know there's infinitely greater love, then I can really face it. Brothers and sisters, Paul says there is after death for those who put their faith in Christ, there is resurrection life. There is being in the presence of the infinitely loving God. This is why he says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we can have confidence even in the face of death because we know Jesus was victorious over death. And even though death is a terrible, nasty thing, death is not something, come on, let's be honest. We don't want to see our bodies fall apart. We don't want to experience the pain of a physical death. We don't want to go through that, but we can face it in a different way with confidence. As Paul says, we can be steadfast. We can be immovable because we know that there is resurrection life and the presence of the infinite loving God on the other side. Man, the resurrection is so important. The doctrine, the truth, the resurrection is something that is so important for us to know and it is the hope, the message of the hope for this world. You know, this is, this message, as I was preparing it, this is really hard to preach to a church of, of, of people mostly in their 20s and 30s and, and 40s. It's really, really hard because death is just not really a reality to us. I mean, I'm only 28. I'm in the same boat as all of you. Are any newcomers laughing? That's my real, that's what I care about. Any newcomers here laughing? Okay, they weren't laughing. Maybe, okay, anyway. John, it's really hard, honestly, because as I was thinking about it, I was like, how do, how do we, man, it's so unrealistic to us. How do I preach this in a church of people in their 20s, 30s, and people in their 40s are the, the end of the bell curve. That's where I am. I still feel young. I feel like I'm, I was going to say 18. I feel like I'm 28, 35. I feel like I'm 35. I feel young. This is hard for me to grasp as well. John Calvin wrote in his institutes, we undertake all things as if we were establishing immortality for ourselves on earth. If we see a dead body, we may philosophize briefly about the fleeting nature of life. But the moment we turn away from the sight, the thought of our own perpetuity remains fixed in our minds. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? For most of us, death is an abstract concept. Something factually true, but unimaginable in terms of a personal reality. Even Tim Keller, he was in his 70s when he died, said that, that his cancer diagnosis, it was hard for him to accept the fact that he was really going to die because he still felt strong. He felt capable. How much more so 
when most of our church is in our 20s and our 30s. Wow, brothers and sisters, we need to think and meditate upon the death and resurrection of Christ. And we need to think and meditate upon our own death and our own resurrection. Because, brothers and sisters, and, 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 and let me close with this. Let me close with this. Let me bring it to a head here. This, this understanding of death and resurrection, it is so important because it actually frees us to be able to enjoy this life and to live this life the way that we're meant to live it. That comes through understanding death and resurrection. I'm going to quote one more time Tim Keller because it's just so present and real right now. He wrote an article himself in The Atlantic back in March of 2021, again after his cancer diagnosis, called Growing My Faith, My Faith in the Face of Death. Incredible article. I, I really encourage you to read it. He wrote this. He said, To our surprise and encouragement, Kathy and I, Kathy is his wife, Kathy and I have discovered that the less we attempt to make this world into, into a heaven, the more we are able to enjoy it. No longer are we burdening it with demands impossible for it to fulfill. We have found that the simplest things, from sun on the water and flowers in the vase, to our own embraces, sex, and conversation, bring more joy than ever. This has taken us by surprise. This change was not an overnight revolution. As God's reality dawns more on my heart, slowly and painfully and through many tears, the simplest pleasures of this world have become sources of daily happiness. It is only as I have become, for lack of a better term, more heavenly-minded that I can see the material world for the astonishingly good divine gift that it is. Friends, you know, I, I, what words of wisdom. You know, what this means is, you know, the, the more, the more we, we look to our career as a form of fulfillment, that, that if I could have a great, great career and be successful and respected and, and, and achieve my goals and my vision, then, then I will really be happy and feel fulfilled. Or if we, if we believe um, that, that through relationships, that if I can find that special somebody in my life or just be surrounded with a great group of friends that works out for me, then I will really be happy in this life. That if I, if I could just make enough money and if I can enjoy you know, these things in the world, the finer things of the world or these experiences that I want to have, if I could just have these things, the more we believe that, the more we focus in on that, the more we become enslaved to things that actually cannot satisfy us that are only cruel taskmasters and leave you perpetually unhappy. Maybe you get the sugar rush of a nice thing or a relationship 
or an experience for a moment, but ultimately it doesn't satisfy the deepest desire of your soul. In fact, it becomes your slave master. You chase it for the rest of your life because you think you can make heaven on earth. But Tim Keller, as he said, no, when we can see the resurrection, when that becomes real to us, we actually become free of these earthly taskmasters. We put them in their proper place and we can say thank you for the good gifts that you give God. And even when we're all walking on the difficult roads the, through the valley of the shadow of death in life, I know there is resurrection life coming and I can be content and thankful with whatever, how much or how little I have in this life. You actually experience freedom, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, if we don't, if we don't meditate upon death and upon the resurrection, then serving God in this life will become laborious. It will be a task. You will view God as your taskmaster. It will be this heavy obligation. Who, who wants to die to themselves? Take up their cross, follow Christ. Who would want to serve others and put yourself last? Who would want to forgive your enemies, not seven times, but 70 times, seven times? Who would want to, to, to walk down this narrow path of self-denial, saying no to the things of this world and looking at people all around us, pursuing the things of this world and we would become envious of them? Who would want to do all of that if we don't believe in the resurrection, if that's not forefront in our minds? I tell you, if the resurrection is not real, Christian life gets heavy, gets tiring. And Jesus' words, come to me, all you who are weary and heavily laden, and I will give you rest. Take upon me my yoke, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We read that and we go, that don't make no sense. <laughs> I believe it because Jesus said it, but I don't really believe it in my heart. That's what happens. But if Christ has been raised from the dead, if the resurrection is becoming more real to you by the day, then sacrifice in this life becomes a joy, at times difficult, at times through tears, but it becomes a joy because great is your reward in heaven. Because the resurrection life, the spiritual body, blows this natural life and this natural body, this short fleeting life that we have, it blows it out of the water. Brothers and sisters, we need to think about death. I know that sounds morbid, but we need to meditate upon it, the reality of it, and we need to think about the resurrection, to ask God in your times of prayer, Lord, help me to see, open my eyes. You know, I don't know, go to a cemetery, <laughs> hang out in a cemetery, not during the nighttime, in the day, okay? I'm not that crazy. Go during the day. Do things that remind yourself that this life is short, but that there is a life to come so that we will be people who experience freedom. You can't, when you embrace death and resurrection, you start to actually live in this life. When you don't see the resurrection, we're the walking dead.
We're the walking dead. We think we're living, but we're walking in slavery to the things of this world.